It's the podcast specifically for the Australian country music industry. Our country. Conversations with prominent Australian country music identities. Recorded and produced in Tamworth, Australia's country music capital at Radio 2TM. And now, the host of our country, 2TM presenter and award-winning singer-songwriter, Sally Ann Witten. Welcome to episode 7 of Our Country. In this episode, I was delighted to sit down and have a great conversation with one of our most celebrated storytellers, Graham Connors. He shares the fascinating story of how he started out and how he got his big break in the country music industry. We also talked about the art of songwriting and Graham gave us some wonderful insights into his special songcraft. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Graham Connors. Welcome to our next episode of Our Country, a great series where I get to talk to a whole bunch of very interesting and talented people in the Australian country music industry. And my guest today is one of my favourite singer-songwriters, has contributed so much to the Australian country music industry, Graham Connors. Good morning. Well, Sally Ann, <laughs> thank you for a lovely introduction. That's all right. Look, I could have gone on for hours. Thank, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. Great to be able to sit down in person. We've had a, a couple is. of chats we've, over the phone. We've had some phone conversations that I've really always enjoyed. Oh, good. And uh, it's a good opportunity now we are in town to catch up and uh, yeah and uh, you know face to face is always better because the conversations generally go off on tangents yes absolutely <laughs> it's not so directed and yes. excuse me when did you start in your music industry <laughs> that's very John Laws by the way <laughs> John who yeah <laughs> I know it's so uh, it's really much easier face to face. Uh, so what I'm curious about, Graham, I know a little bit about, well, uh, quite a bit about your career, I think, but I'd love to know how you got started. So was yep. there ever anything else that you ever wanted to do? What made you decide to be a, a singer-songwriter? It sounds really, really silly, but <laughs> as far back as I can remember, um, I was I was a big fan of the Phantom comics. Oh, you know, yes. Yeah, the Phantom. And on the back of the Phantom comics, there was an advertisement for something like 10 shillings or something, you could get a guitar and you could get a teaching course to learn oh. to play the guitar. And I was fascinated with this. And I, I was not a really... Growing up in tropical Australia, my skin did not suit the conditions. So it, it you'd go to the beach and you'd come home sunburned and then next time your mother would be <laughs> lathering you with, with gunk you know, yeah. to stop the sunburn. So I thought blow this for a caper I'll be an inside kid you <laughs> yeah, know what I mean yeah. so I took on I used to read a bit comics mainly <laughs> yeah yeah nothing wrong with that no, and uh, and then this guitar thing became an obsession and I got a feeling it was my 12th birthday and I begged pleaded you know uh, I was already earning a little bit of pocket money as a <clears throat> a ball boy and line boy at oh. the football. So I had, you know, I had the readies, probably something like, you know, $8. Oh. <laughs> I thought I was a wealthy yeah, young man. of course. And I said to mum and dad, I'll go your halves in a guitar, you know, yeah. for my birthday. Anyhow, I didn't need to do that. They they bought me a $17.50 Suzuki guitar. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I can still smell that guitar when I yep. close my eyes. Yep. And I'm sitting there. It was in a cardboard box as they have them, and I'd brush my hands across the strings, and I don't even know if it was tuned, but there was some magic emanating from that for me, you know. So <laughs> it's funny when you think about it. Anyhow, I was uh, very keen to get started, 
So mum and dad took me to a gentleman called Henry Alleman. And Henry was a Malay uh, guitarist and, and a lot of the Malay community up in Mackay were musically minded. They had bands and they played jazz and all that sort of stuff. And Henry taught me the rudiments of, of the guitar, uh, music, reading music. And within like three months, because seriously, I was like every waking hour, I'd be ding, 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 <laughs> ding, ding. ding. And, uh, you know, take these chains from my heart and set me free. Oh, wrong note. <laughs> That's how you learn. That's, right. <laughs> That's how you learn. Got to start somewhere. And, uh, and three months in, Henry said, look, I've taught you all I know. You, you, you're basically just going to go out and do it yourself now. So... A very good friend of mine, Michael Lake, we went to school together. He was he'd taken on drums. He just loved banging away on <laughs> on those drums, which I never considered a musical instrument. No, still don't. No, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding to he's my not, to friends out there. <laughs> that's right. He's not listening to this conversation. Lucky. <laughs> well, <laughs> if he does, I'm going to get a phone yeah. call. Um, and uh, he, he said, well, "Well, you know, we should have a little band." So we managed to get. Another fellow from school who was a bit old than us, Ray Camilleri, played bass guitar. Oh, fantastic. What sort of songs uh, did you do? Uh, well, the first song we learned was the Doug Sam Quintet. Oh. And it was called Mendocino. And it was uh, Teeny Bopper, da 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 da, my teenage lover, da 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 da, da 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 It was like one of those really simple things. Yeah. But what it highlighted was that guitar, bass, and drums was just not sufficient. We needed a keyboard player. Right. So Michael had a distant, distant relation, who a young woman who who played the piano. So off we go to audition her <laughs> at her parents' home. And uh, she was so beautiful, she just got the job. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Don't know what she played like. We didn't, didn't care really. <laughs> we didn't care what she – I think she played something like you know, Let It Be, which was, might have been the hit of the day yeah, or okay. something like that. And that'll we just do. that'll do, you know. <laughs> we're in. We're, I, I knew right from the outset there's more to this than music. <laughs> I see, I see. You can't build a career on music alone. You that's gotta... what they say. That's right. It's good advice. <laughs> and uh, and that turned that that uh, young woman turned into my wife in years oh, to come. Okay. So we were great buddies for a long time through music. Oh, that's a great and, story. Uh, and yes, and it was like. Uh, she gets a that Lynn gets a little bit of a a, a a mention in a song called "What If," you know. But what if you hadn't worn that little red dress? Oh you yeah, know? So, okay. So yeah, so so music became just part of the air around us, you know. Yeah. Like, like we've we had a we'd rehearse every Saturday afternoon in her parents' garage, and uh, and then we started getting gigs, you know, like. Um, out of town gigs, oh. Serena. Oh, on the road. The on road. the road. It was a 24 kilometre drive. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's still on tour. Yeah. We're on tour. Yeah. And then uh, eventually we reached the dizzying heights of the Whitsunday Hotel in Mackay. Oh. And we were the house band. So you would be amazed how many people in the Mackay region can say, Graham Connors, oh, he 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 played that for guy. me for my wedding. Oh, <laughs> that guy, okay, that's right, fantastic. So, so that was, 
it was just that music was nothing but fun yeah. and we were learning songs and all sorts of things. Somewhere in there, I thought, this songwriting business is incredible. The power that comes from a melody and some words yeah. and how it makes people feel. You know, you're up there and by this time we're doing Creedence Clearwater Revival songs. And I see a bad moon arise and people all of a sudden go berserk. You yeah, know, yeah. They'll be jumping up and down and <laughs> dancing. And, and then it'd be like, you know, um, I want to hold your hand. And it's like... Look at these people. They're going nuts. I love it. What, this is, I've got to get into this caper. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So I started, started writing some songs, but because I was the age I was, I suppose, and I had a, a predisposition to seriousness, all <laughs> mine turned more like really gooey Bob Dylan songs. You know, Well, like, that's not a bad thing. You say <laughs> that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> well, it was a start, wasn't yeah, it, Sally Ann? And, and I mean, and... Uh, the local radio station. Sorry, am I a bit long-winded? No, this is, we're this just is having perfect. A chat, so, yeah, we're just having a chat. This is um, perfect. So the local radio station, uh, Lee Kidd and Gary Roydhouse were two announcers, and they decided um, that my original songs needed to be recorded, and so they got us into the studio just like this, and it was larger, of course, one microphone. <laughs> And the whole band. Oh, in, wow, in it's the like studio. a bluegrass recording. Or <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, it didn't sound like bluegrass. <laughs> <laughs> the drums were reverberating around oh. the room, and you know what I mean? It's like, and I'm thinking right from the outset, this doesn't sound like the Beatles. No. <laughs> All one track? <laughs> All on one track. And, uh, but that led to uh, a promoter coming to town by a guy by the name of Don Herring, and he was bringing Sherbet. And our champions, our advocates, Lee and Gary, played him a tape of our little band with the original songs. And Don was forward-thinking enough to say, well, let's put on a local band that's sort of trying to make some difference, you know. And so we got to open for Sherbet. Oh, cool. And that was just like, wahoo, we're, yeah. we're in the big league, you know yes. what I mean? Um, at the parish hall, and uh, at the end of that, Clive Shakespeare, the late Clive Shakespeare, very generously took me aside and talked about, you know, guitars and amplifiers and and songwriting and you know all that sort of stuff. He didn't have to do that, but he 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 was obviously, you know, he could have gone off partying, but instead he he, he acted as a mentor to this wow. young band. And uh, anyhow, when I finished my school year, well, I was coming up to that, my, my year 12 by now, um, Don Herring said, if you want to pursue the music industry seriously, um, I can try and help you but put you on some shows. And he was pretty busy at that time. He had Sherbet going out again and uh, Del Shannon, the, the, yeah. the American rock singer and, or pop rock singer, uh, Patrick O'Hag and the Irish tenor. <laughs> That's quite well, a roster of artists. Uh, he, wow. he, he was very, very Catholic and t it was ah. just whatever made money. Uh, yeah, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might be more Jewish. <laughs> now, <laughs> it was interesting. It was like, so I'd be out on tour with Don's artists wow. and that's where I really cut my teeth as a solo performer. Yeah, okay. Because you had to try and provide some sort of, you know, 
Then came the, the record deal where uh, Don had spoken with uh, uh, ABC, uh, uh, Festival Records and uh, they'd expressed some interest in me coming in and Alan Healy, the managing director, very generously uh, gave me a contract. I, I was that young that my father had to sign the contract, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like... Wow. Yeah, I still have that document where it's signed on behalf of. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, and that began the struggle, really, you know, to try and find out who you are as an artist. Yeah. And uh, I must have been, uh, must have been eighteen at the time, just becoming nineteen. Gosh, that's really young for, to be knowing who you are as a person or an too, artist. Too or, young. Yeah. Too young. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was floundering because it was like you know I was looking. I was number one. I'd moved away from my hometown and all my friends. Yeah, and I felt sometimes very, very isolated, which is not a bad thing for a writer, to be honest, because you sit. A bit there, of a struggle. It's a bit of a struggle. Yeah, and I, I knew that what I was coming up with was all a bit oh, just, just not good enough, mm. you know. And the producers I had at the time were encouraging. But they also said, you know, you've got to lift the bar here. You've got to, yeah. get, got to get better at this. So I listened and listened. And then, of course, you get into that trap of trying to write the song that was the last hit. Of course. And making it yours somehow. Yeah. And you're always too late by yes. then. You know, it's yeah. all... The, the train has gone. Yes, the horse has bolted. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, So I end up having the great fortune of touring with Chris Christopherson and Rita Courage. Yeah, wow. And Chris, Billy Swan, who was in his band, said to Chris, you know, we, we ought to record this kid, you know, and give him a hand. And Chris, very generously, with the help of Alan Healy from Festival Records, um, changed his schedule to, and took me into the studio with his band and Rita and recorded four songs. Um, they were uh, songs, one, one by Larry Murray, who's... Uh, who was a songwriter that they, they knew very, very well, a song called Dakota the Dancing Bear. A song by Donnie Fritz, the late, great Donnie yeah. Fritz, who died in 2019, who was uh, Chris's piano player, and that song called You're Gonna Love Yourself in the Morning. A song called Rock and Roll Time that, that I'd, Chris had invited me up to do every night with him and Rita on the stage. And another song called... Um, uh, if you hurt me, you won't be the first or the last in a lifetime of any mistakes. I'd rather be sorry for something I've done than for something that I didn't do. So it's uh, called I'd Rather okay. Be Sorry. Yep. And that was a song that, that Chris hadn't at, to that point even recorded. It had been a hit for Ray Price and I had just loved it, just loved the song. And I was a huge fan of Chris Christopherson and like all fans, you you get their recorded work first then you've got to dig deeper yep. and you've got to find who recorded this mm -hmm. and who did that and where, where was this from. And yep. So I had the whole map of Chris's songwriting. And so he was a huge, to me, influence because he put words to the emotions that somehow I was trying to 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 deal with you know, and, and work through. Yeah. Um, and, and I suppose he appealed to that serious general serious nature kid that I yeah, was you know yeah. so that came out as an album called and when morning comes oh, oh dear and <laughs> when morning comes it's very poetic it it's is lovely. very poetic it really is and and when morning comes was a, a huge success in our household 
<laughs> that's, that's very important. That's very one's, important. One's household is a good place to be successful. <laughs> uh, it, good way to start, it was, really. It, you know, I'm sure Mr. Healy did never recoup the money that he spent oh. on, on that album, but well. but um, it was a beginning, yeah. and uh, it uh, it was there were so many lessons in there for me, understanding that you know like the recording process, but the biggest lesson was seriously, who am I? Yeah. I had to find my story. And it took me until I was probably nearly 30 years of age. So there was a lot of years in there where I was working. I, I had such great, incredible fortune to tour with people like Peter Allen, mm-hmm. uh, Liza Minnelli, Bill Cosby, Dave Allen. Wow. Um, it was like there was a great network of of promoters who who gave me an opportunity, and I must have done the job well enough, you know what I mean, to, to keep doing it. Yeah, of course. And uh, and I was keen as mustard. So um, eventually, I got to, as I say, my early thirties, and I had this review, and I thought, you know, how do you say it? It's like. Well, you've been the bridesmaid for a long time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you've been the second string for a long time. This probably is not going to work for you. Mm-hmm. And so I'd reached this point of, okay, um, the industry, I've had a really good run, but I have failed to, to become Graham Connors in bright lights, yeah. right? So uh, I decided... Well, I'd already at this point in time taken a job in music publishing because the live thing with children and family yeah. was just becoming a bit difficult. And I'm, for a series of events led me to think I've had enough of Sydney and, and my family roots and my wife's family roots are all back in Queensland, that we'd we'd go home at sort of in, in a year's time or something and... And that was a phase of my life that that was absolutely fabulous, but it was it didn't come to full fruition. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, every struggling musician knows, you know, the dollar is just like, where do we? Yeah. How do I make a quid out yeah. of this? You know, so it's like, you you you're living on the smell of an oily rag most of the time, yeah. and you get tired of that. You absolutely. Know? You yeah. Just, so so I'd made this call, and I thought, okay. I have some good musical friends here in Sydney. Uh, I, I'd had some success with Hot Town, a song that I'd co-written for John English. There were a few dollars coming in with royalties. Um, not enough to live on, but a yeah. few coming in. So I decided that I'd have one last recording that would be sort of the story of my life and it'd be there for my children in time to come. So they could say, oh, that's what the old man did. You know, like at some point he was yep. a singer. Yeah. So I wrote these deeply personal songs, Mango Shade, Let the Cane Fields Burn. Yeah, <laughs> I can't know where this is heading. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that interesting then, that yeah. your turning point, yep. and you, you hear that in many stories, not just as artists and musicians, but you think, uh, oh, that's it. This yeah. is it. I'm, I'm making a decision to close this phase of my life, go out with one big bang yeah. and just do it how I want to do it. Yeah. And that's the turning that's point. That's the turning point. Isn't that actually, interesting? You find, you you document yourself. Yes. That's the whole thing. Yeah. And you're free. I was free at, I freed myself, I guess I could say at that point, of the market, the, the sort of like 
and that how do I how do I win this game? How mm. do I do this? How do I get yeah. this through? It became uh, I was writing these songs thinking, oh well, no one's gonna, no one's really gonna get this. But you know what I can do? If I make this record, we go back up. Maybe I could work the islands. You know what I mean? Like they had a at that point they had resorts on the islands. Yeah. And I noticed the thread of the little further north cyclone season, Canefields burn. So it was like my story. It mm-hmm. really was. It was every piece that came from there. Mango Shade was in some way influenced by my life, right through to the Sydney experience with Sicilian born. Um, that when I was touring, you know, I got to the Gold Coast, so I got on the edge of paradise. Uh, every song had a strand uh, that that somehow linked to my life experience, and um, so with the help of an amazing musician called Bob Butler, who uh, has retired from the music industry now, Bob was just amazing. He had a couple of uh, projects of his own. Uh, the I think it was called the Electric Chamber Orchestra, one of those incredible musicians that could just play anything. Yeah. You know, I mean, like he'd play the bass, he'd play the drums if he had to, he'd play keyboards, he'd write for a whole orchestra, then he'd have a whole... St- wow. bra- just a great talent, really yeah. great talent. So with his uh, assistance uh, and John Frolic, engineer uh, from a- ATA Studios, we, we actually recorded North in the last week of ATA Studios Live. Oh, so wow. it was like... I, I'm thinking, oh my goodness! Not am I. Not only am I closing my career, the yeah, studio's yeah. closing down, and uh, that was the Cole Joy's, uh, the Jacobson family's uh, studio yeah. at ATA. And uh, lo and behold, in that week, you know, Dougie Gallagher played drums, yeah. and, and uh, these were all people who who I had some interaction with over uh, the Flying Emus had played on several of the tracks. Yeah. Um, and uh, we finished it, and it was a the perfect document that we wanted it to be. Uh, and I'm sort of like, well, okay, now what's next? I'm going to have to print it and make cassettes and <laughs> records. Yep. Back in the day, <laughs> yeah, yep, I remember those. Yeah, and do that. And uh, at the same time, I was working with a, a a wonderful woman called Diana Manson from ABC Music. I was working with her on a project of children's music. Ten albums called Nought to Nine, and uh, her and Ros- uh, myself and Rosalind Price uh, were sort of like, I'd say, advisors, because mm-hmm. uh, we had a, I had a very encyclopedic knowledge of songs all these years. Yeah, of course, yeah. I had just you know, and because I'd come from my childhood was in the um, you know, late fifties, early sixties, I knew every. You know, I sort of came from that period where I knew all that stuff, and then I knew all the Beatles and everything else yeah. came from from there. So I was assisting them to with song titles for these kids' projects, and um, lo and behold, she said to me, "You know, what have you been up to?" I said, "Well, I've been in the studio for a week. And I've I've made this record." And she said, "Well, aren't you going to play it to me?" And I'm like, "Oh, die! You know, it's just really a personal document." She said, "Well, aren't we friends? I mean, can you play this thing?" So I I gave it to her. And uh, she rang me like within the hour and said, this is exactly what ABC Music's looking for. Wow. So, yeah. Okay. So, you know, that's really interesting. And I'd, I'd really love your thoughts on the writing for a hit yep. versus writing for artistic um, merit, you know. So, you know, I've, I've co-written with some people who are just all about the, the hook. We've got to find the hook. We've got to find the hook. Uh, and have a sing-along chorus, and I don't write. I'm yep. a, I, that 
is not for me. I, I find that really difficult. Yeah. And I've never had a hit, so, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I should pay more attention to that. But uh, I, I think that's a very different process as to what you're talking about, documenting a story or having something really personal to say. I think the process is really different. Do you find, have you, you've obviously done a bit of both. How do you feel about that process? Well, I, I think that what we need to remember is there are basic, basic human communication skills and... You need to find the language in lyrics where people can get it in a very short space of time. Because mm. let's be frank, songs happen over time. They're moving, they're moving forward and you're not allowing people the opportunity to go back and check what you've just said. Yes. So language has to be conversational and direct as possible as you're moving forward, the more esoteric you are, the less likelihood of people getting what you're trying to, mm. you know, because a song is always about something. Yeah. It may not be a narrative. It might be a series of images that give you a, a, a sense of, of feeling rather than story, right? I don't believe that in e either form of writing, writing for yourself or writing for the marketplace, that the rules are different in any way it's like it's just the language um you know billy joel's piano man right that was a great hit mm. but it just it obeys all every idea of good communication he sets the scene of the bar tells you what's happening the characters that are there it's like a movie going on and you're you're walking through the movie as the song happens. Yeah. And then, of course, that f incredible punch of like, sing us a song, you're the piano man. And it's like, that's his life. There mm -hmm. he is. And you're with him the whole way through it. Now, you listen to Jimmy Webb, you know, like any of his songs. There's basic, he's a bit more poetic in, in, his, in his lyric. And this is where the, the genre thing happens, you know, mm. country. And Hank Williams is like, the most direct, uh, I went to say that before, take these chains from my heart and set me free. Yeah. You've grown cold and no longer care for me. All my faith in you is gone, but the heartache lingers on. Take these chains from my, my heart and let me, set me free. What incredibly simple. And now, no mistaking what he's feeling. We no, got it in that the short little it's chorus. absolutely direct. Yeah. Absolutely direct. And... So I encourage people not to think, never think of the market, mm. really, because the market is transitory and the market is always moving. That's right. And you, if you think you've got the vision to work out what people, what, what music's going to be like in 12 months' time, then I, th I think you might be under the influence of hallucinogenics. <laughs> <laughs> and please share some of those with us. <laughs> Yeah, so I think I'm, you're right. I'm a great believer that just write the best song you can write, yeah. and look, there are there are, there are numerous tales of songs that sat on the sidelines for periods of time and then found their time in the sun, mm. and um, and I'm my concern with younger artists is this sense of immediacy that 
is it's driving so mm. much that it's like you write the song this morning and it's on Facebook this afternoon. Yeah. And it's like, and it's going to be hit, yeah. right? And it's just like, well, take some time here, review your work, mm. see if there's something better, there's more clarity you can yep. put into it. There's this, this, well, I think it's a nonsense and it's been proven from Shakespeare right through. You know, the muse, in adverted commas, very rarely visit has a visitation and provides you with your finished work in three minutes, mm, three or four exactly, minutes, yeah. right? It's about getting it out, reviewing it, questioning, finding new ways of, of saying that. Mm. There's so much, there are so many songs existing in the world currently that it's very hard not to feel as if, well, not to find, put it that way, that you are using similar lines to something else. That Everything could... comes from somewhere, doesn't it? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. it does and it doesn't. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you can find a new way of wrapping it up. You can find yeah. a new way. But also, I'm a little bit tired of love songs that just don't add to the canon in any way. Not it's saying just, anything new. No. Yeah. I'm yeah. sad. You <laughs> broke my heart. You've done everything wrong by me and I loved you the whole time. And it's just like... That's so? why people think country music is all about. You know, that's uh, why we've got such a bad rap. <laughs> oh, well, just, please. Just, yeah. you know, it's like I know that your heart's broken out there and you're 14 years of age. <laughs> but, but seriously... There are other things to yes. write about. Do you know what yes. I mean? There are other things. And it's like people who are writing stuff that they, you know, at, at, as I say, and that was a bit of a cheap shot, 14 years of age with broken hearts. I'm sure there, there, there are people whose lived experience is difficult. Yeah. But there's also so many other things to, to, Absolutely. to write about. Yeah, you know, yeah. you write about your next door neighbour who's crazy. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Write about the bloody... The, the the car that you that yeah. you've always wanted yeah. to have, you know, yeah. it's like branch out, go and go and look further afield. Yeah, just because there's hit songs or love songs, don't mean that every love song's a hit song. That's right, <laughs> it's so true. And do you find too, once you, uh, it's happened to me, I've got a song that I think is finished, and I go into the studio, and my husband, the producer, says, "Ah, oh, I don't think that's finished. Mm-hmm. I think we need it needs." Um, you're not saying anything new in the bridge, you know, we need mm-hmm. to do that. It needs a riff to tie the whole thing together. And, of course, I get very uh, protective about that and say, oh. no, no, excuse me, I'm quite finished. That song's done. Thank you. I have to tell you something. Your husband is a blessing. <laughs> yes, he Treat is. him I that know. way. Absolutely. Because a, quest- a person who questions you with cares your work you. really cares. Yes. And if they're not getting it clear and they know you that well yeah. as it is, listen, because it's like... I am, uh, over the many years of of work, uh, my editor and my critic in here Mm. is incredibly powerful. And I have to, I'm actually at a point, I think, in my life where I need to turn that editor off. Just, would you go away for a while? Let me just finish this. Then you get your shop. You know what I mean? So it's like... 
because sometimes you 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 get a flash of like that's a nice way that that rolls and that be, might be interesting and you start work and then all of a sudden it's, hey that's been done before you yeah, can't yeah. do that yep. you know what I mean yep. it's like oh, just a minute I just want to do no no <laughs> if it's not perfect it's not perfect yes. you know what I mean it's yes. like I gotta, this has got to sound like a record come on get away yeah so yep. there's all these internal conversations we've got to manage as creative yep. people and it's best that you learn from those who I mean. The early producers, Richard Batchins and people like that, who who uh, who I you know I was their responsibility for a period. They, um, in various ways, pointed out you know the, the shortcomings and things like that in myself. Um, I also had uh, the wonderful opportunity when I was touring with Chris Christophers, and I had a song in my show, and he came to see me one morning I think we were going somewhere and he said you know that song you're doing it was called Bronwyn at the time the song he said do you mind if we have a talk about the song because it's like there's a few areas that I reckon you could improve on and I mean who what incredible fortune to have a master songwriter like Chris Christopherson mm. sit down and pull your song apart and help you Absolutely. put it back together again yeah. and that was also that was great assistance to my editing side that said hey okay it's not all about a liberal outpouring mm. it's about getting that out getting all that stuff that's that's raw material for the song and then like collaging almost you know like, hey that belongs here and this belongs there and that sort of stuff now there may be people who are listening to this uh, podcast or interview who will go you know nah he's wrong it's got to come <laughs> as a as a flash of light lightning and that's fine. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't work. It, all the writers that I work with over a many period of time, we started out with the sense that creativity is a very precious thing and it pours out of us like oil and, and it's just fully formed and ready to go. But over time, one learns that, you know, that oil can drown the, yeah. <laughs> the real thing that, that's happening. So, yeah. so you've got to take time. Time is probably the most important thing. Don't go saying, I wrote four songs today. When you hear yourself say that, all you really want to say is, did I write one really good song this week? Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's enough. One yeah. great song a week is yep. 52 songs a year. You've already got more product than you've got an, than you've got open av an avenue for. Yes. Maybe even make it one song a month. Yeah. And stay with it until it is... A, polished gold you know what I mean do you find if you walk away from your song for a little while and then come back with fresh ears oh god is that yes. a, yeah a yeah absolutely do? well I always sleep on things mm. that's my whole when I'm writing lyrics I'm generally horizontal and I've got my pad and uh I, I, you know by this by the time I'm sort of doing that I've got a melodic structure I've got basically maybe the first verse and or a chorus or something like that i know where it's all heading but i find delving into the subconscious in that little nether world of, of awake and asleep yeah. is where you get some really good connections really little gems that that assist you uh to to make the song that bit unique mm -hmm. um and and even even i'm a great advocate we all suffer uh, writer's block at some point where it's like what have I got to say 
Is there anything left for me to say? Do do I have anything meaningful to add to this conversation? Then I find if you just sit down with a piece of paper and set the watch at 30 minutes and just keep writing, keep writing. Do not stop. Do not not pause for a reflection. Just pour out every little thing that's coming on. At 30 minutes, bing, off it goes. Go back and read it and you'd be amazed to find a circle of thought. You'll be amazed to find something is still in your subconscious trying to trying to come forward. And I think it's the way the mind works. I, I believe we need to trust that. If you go in and say, okay, here's the hook line. Um, uh, I wish you were here, right? Yep. Then it's generally what happens is your brain goes to every other song you've ever heard that had I wish you were here and sort of steals lines from it. You yes, know what I mean? of course, yeah. Whereas if you write from the other perspective where you've sort of, in a sense, you're the land of unknowing, um, then the, the, the weird things come forward that, that are like, oh, that's unusual. What mm. is that? And then you explore that and then it's, look... I could talk songwriting forever. We could do a series of of podcasts about songwriting. That could be fun. (laughs) (laughs) So really interesting things there. I know people, uh, I've got friends who teach meditation Mm -hmm. and the flow of creative thought, they're free, I think they call it free writing. Yes. Where you get up first thing in the morning, it's like a form of meditation. Yes. And just write. Yep. Don't worry about Don't judge it. Don't yep. think about it. Just free write just to get your thoughts Well, that's very out. similar to what I was saying before. Yeah, and, yeah. It is, you, and they say the same thing. That little space of time when you're in a meditation, you're not – it's a different consciousness. Yeah. And that's where you can access all your creativity and, and different ideas. Well, it's funny. It works. I can't explain why. Yeah. But I don't um, – uh, I, I don't do it every day. I think it. Uh, I don't need to do it every day, put yeah. it that way. Um, but when I need it, you can see my writer's diaries. There'll be pages of stuff. I'd love to see and your writer's diaries. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be pages of stuff. And, and over the years, you know, I've gone back and, and sifted through that and found a kernel of thought that turned into a song that became something else. Yeah. So it's it's like... If you don't have that resource, um, and this is another thing too, we get inhibited by wanting to create the perfect song in its own space. But if you just keep you just keep pouring stuff out around, you can you've always got a resource for later. Mm, you know what yeah. I mean? Like it's something you can go back to and say, oh, my goodness. You know, I look at Let the Cane Fields Burn and how that formed as a song and how it was really out of the story of a fellow that I knew in Mackay who had uh, sadly died in a, in a, a cane fire, trapped in a cane fire. So it, it, was, um, it was not uh, per se... It was never clarified whether it was a, a suicide or whether it was just he was trapped in the okay. fire. But the cane industry at that point in time was under incredible financial pressure and a lot of farmers were, the banks were foreclosing mm-hmm. and the song ended up being a song about suicide as a response to that degree of pressure and the loss of the family farm and all mm-hmm. those sorts of things. Now, I can trace that through my songwriter's diaries over three or four days 
and seeing how the germ of that idea ended up was it coagulating? <laughs> that's a great word. <laughs> yeah, that's a good word. Actually, yeah. I must remember that. Write that down. <laughs> it coagulated into the song. If you can make that rhyme into a song, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, you I'll get the impressed. points. Yeah, yeah. I'll go right, right here. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, look, we could, I could talk to you all day about all sorts of things, Graham. But um, I know you've got a, a busy schedule, so. We'll, uh, well, I've moving, had a lovely but, conversation um, again with you, Sally, and so it's becoming a regular event. So we'll do it again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. There's some real gems in there for I know some of our uh, listeners who might be aspiring singer songwriters in there about the process and about how you got started too. And I think uh, I hope I've got the right lesson out of from what you're saying is that the ultimate uh, way to be a great artist, I think, is just to be true to yourself. That's the only thing that you can do. The only thing you can offer at the end of the day is yourself. And it's like I... uh, There are artists who manage to get through um, by being a version of someone else. And you find generally... The career is is not. It's only sustained as long as they have the support team that enables them to 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 get away with that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just the way it is. Mm. But then, the artists that that go on. I mean, you know, like a, a say a John Prine. You know what I mean? Like John Prine. I know that if I sat down to have a conversation with John Prine, those those words that wisdom would be just part of the conversation because it's who he is yeah and i reckon the same thing with randy newman if you sat down with him you'd have an intelligent conversation you know full of humor and because that's the person you are here you are you know yeah and i think paul mccartney would be just the most incredible person to sit down and have a conversation with you know when you look at the eclectic nature of, of his writing over so many years. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, that'd all be great conversations. I'm sitting here thinking, <laughs> I wonder if I could bring any of those. Yes, for well, a podcast. Hang on, I'll get out my black book. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all artists who have, I think, remained completely true to themselves, evolved a little bit, and yep. uh, not concerned themselves with how they look or how they. I mean, it's important, you know, to look. Your best, obviously, but oh, look, not, I've done my in... best today. No, come on, <laughs> you look fabulous. You look fabulous, Graham. The man in black, I love it. Can't go wrong. <laughs> but it's all about the, uh, you know, the authenticity of their product. I hate throwing that word around all the time, authenticity, especially when you're talking about songwriting. But I think it's oh, an apt one. Being honest at yeah. the end of the day, yeah. just uh, working with what you got. Yeah, because our limitations are as uh, as just as important as our advantages. That's a gem. That's so true. <laughs> so true. Graeme, what a pleasure Good to be able yourself. to sit down and speak to you today. Thank you so much for being Lovely. part of our country podcast. Good on you. I hope it didn't go too long. Not at all. Thank you for joining me for episode seven of Our Country. I hope you enjoyed this great conversation and feel free to check out the other episodes of Our Country available to download for free from all podcast platforms. Join me next month as I chat to one of Australia's favourite daughters, Anne Kirkpatrick. Our Country, the Australian country music industry podcast, is a production of Radio 2TM Tamworth. Our host is Sally Ann Witten. 